Greetings, film freaks. We are the Podcorn Kernels. Join us as we discuss the hard and often indigestible truths that are at the center of the fluffy and delicious world of cinema. Season 2. What's poppin' people? Welcome to the Podcorn Kernels podcast. My name is Adam, and joining me in your ear holes is Harry. Say hello, Harry. She's threatening to leave me, Adam. She's threatening to take the kids. Help me, Adam, please. On today's episode, we will be talking about Heat. This is a 1995 film directed by Michael Mann and stars Al Pacino, Robert De Niro and Val Kilmer. IMDb describes the synopsis as follows. A group of high-end professional thieves start to feel the heat from the LAPD when they unknowingly leave a verbal clue at their latest heist. Here is an original song to support the synopsis. A motley crew of testosterone They have each other, they're never alone Committed to crime every damn day Ain't doing time, no fucking way Slick looking dogs, Bobby De Niro One driven cop, that's Al Pacino Nineties men, they get shit done Nineties men, no time for fun Nineties men, they get shit done Nineties men, no time for fun Nineties men, they get shit done It's the first on-screen appearance by De Niro and Pacino This episode was requested by Chad at Cinema Collect on Instagram Thanks for listening Chad If you are a listener that would like us to cover a film you love, loathe or love to loathe, do please get in touch. Let's start with some facts about the film. In an interview with Al Pacino on the DVD special edition, Pacino revealed that for the scene in the restaurant between Hannah and Macaulay, Robert De Niro felt that the scene should not be rehearsed so that the unfamiliarity between the two characters would seem more genuine. Michael Mann agreed and shot the scene with no practice rehearsals. Now... I don't know if they did it in one take, but the pure boy, simple soul in me wants to see two of my favourite actors do it in one take. I just believe that they did it one and done. No practice rehearsal, sat down, shot the shot, took the take, did it all in one go. I think if you know your lines, you can have a brilliant, random, non-rehearsed in one. If you know your lines, because it's it's kind of a conversation. Mm. And the scene definitely, definitely reeks of naturalistic acting. Yeah. It's very natural. Their reactions, the fact that they offer each other a slight smile, sort of there is a respect among thieves. Yes. Uh, I think it was very naturalistic. And it's a great scene. And it's the first scene in their film history where they're together. Yeah. It's it's iconic, isn't it? Iconic. It's, and it's really well acted. Yeah. I, I just love the fact that, Either one of them could be like, you know, we're, we're at the peak of our powers. We're the two biggest names in Hollywood right now. Let's rehearse this. Let's make this really massive. Let's get this so rehearsed so it's perfect. Let's take loads of time. And they were both like, you know what? Our characters don't know each other, so we're going to not know each other. And we're just going to go in raw. We're going to go in hard and we're going to go in fast. It's huge, isn't it? It's kind of like the Super Bowl, Super Bowl, World Cup, Champions League final of actors meeting for, yeah. for the first time in cinematic history. Yeah. And even after seeing it a few times and knowing that scene really very well, mm. when they sit down at that table to have that coffee, I'm just like edging close to the screen, like, do it, boys, do yeah. it. And I know exactly how it's going to pan out, but I just love to watch it. It's, it's one of the best. It's enthralling. It is. It really is. In June of 2002, the scene involving the shootout after the bank robbery was shown to United States Marine recruits at MCRD San Diego as an example of the proper way to retreat while under fire. Mm. How cool is that? It's very cool. Yeah. Very cool. I know, uh, so the SAS used to attack when they were being ambushed, outnumbered and under fire Mm. because they thought, well, what would throw the attackers off more? If say you're outnumbered during a gully, it's to charge uphill while shooting at them. Well, it's it's such an odd way to do it. And if you watch the film, they're almost on the attack. Yeah. They're like a hedgehog or a porcupine. Mm. Like they've been attacked and ambushed, but the way that they fiercely assault outward to get get out and escape is incredible. Yeah, that like progression through a threat is is so smart to watch. And mm. they say like attack is the best form of defense, don't they? Yeah. So the, I, I just love the thought that that is done so well mm. that the head honchos of actual training soldiers 
are like, mm. this is how you do it, boys and girls. This is how you do it. Like, Incredible. watch these guys acting in this scene. That's how you do it if you come under fire, if you're under threat. It's just an amazing, and amazing thing. And not one of them guns sounds unrealistic. It is such a great scene. I mean, as cinema action goes, if that was the first time you've ever seen Heat, let's say a year or two after it's come out and you've put on Heat, that scene would just blow your mind. The gun sounds are so real. Mm. It's incredible. I've been to gun ranges and they sound like that. It's like, I'm almost wincing watching it. Love it. See, you, you speak of how realistic that is. I always thought when I watched that scene in particular, like all the police have like assault rifles. And that always seems like... Seems weird, doesn't it? I, I always think, well, no, surely it'd be handguns. But then if they know that this is a high-functioning professional crime syndicate, mm-hmm. it would be like taking a, a sword to a gunfight. You you would think, well, they're going to be heavily armed, so we need to return in the light. Yeah, so this station, at whatever station they're based out of, robbery, homicide or anything, there'd be obviously patrol cops there as well. There would be an armoury in there. And I suppose it would kind of be like what suits the situation. Yeah. Kind of like a, a hero going into his cupboard before he leaves. What do I want today? Or a Batman's outfit. Yeah. Today I need the throwing stars. Exactly. Today I, I, they adapted to him because they know from their uh, previous heist at the start of the film that they've used assault rifles. Mm. And yeah. imagine they did take handguns to an assault rifle fight. It would be a very short yeah. conflict, wouldn't it? They'd get mowed down trust, instantly. Trust a whop. Bringing a knife to a gunfight. Untouchables. Yeah, Dad. What a film. He is included among the 1,001 movies you must see before you die, edited by Stephen Schneider. Schneider! Yeah, it is. What did you like about Heat? What? Did you like about Heat? For me, it's it's one of the best crime thrillers of all time. There it is. And so, therefore, it is in my special list, the LA Darkness Anthology, copyrighted, which includes the following, Heat, Mm. Collateral, Nightcrawler, Drive, Training Day, To Live and Die in LA, Chinatown, LA Confidential, Pulp Fiction and Falling Down. Mm. And Heat's probably, if not the best of all of them. I'm sorry, but what a fucking list. Yeah, I mean, it is. And I call it, this. I'm going to keep saying it, the LA Darkness Anthology. I want to buy, I want to be the person who come up with the idea to make a box set of all them 10 films. You should. Oh, it'd be so good, wouldn't it? And you speak at the start, an introduction by Harold from the Popcorn Colonel's podcast. Yeah. And interlace it with that painting I showed you, that 1967 Alex Colville painting. Describe it for the listener. So it's it's a guy, it's a guy looking out across the bay in his really like 80s Art Deco sort of house, and there's a gun on the table. And in this film, they recreate that painting with De Niro coming into his house, but it's done at night. His shot, but the painting's in the day. But I'd have the DVD case painted like that mm. with all the different films with maybe silhouettes of all the main characters the falling down one and that mm. i just love gritty la it's it's there's something to it it's the music is a pulsy music to la crime thrillers which i just adore is it is your love for it does it lie in the fact that la is known for its glitz and glamour for for like stardom celebrity all that thing but on un, its underbelly's quite steeped in crime and gangland culture and all, there's a dark side to LA but in layman's terms to us Brits over here LA is the place you go if you want to go and make it as an actor as a writer as a performer I suppose yeah it's kind of it's odd isn't it it's almost meta to set films in the place where they're filmed mm. so it's strange in in that regard but LA is a bit of a melting pot culturally it's uh it's hot you know it's it's quite exotic but at the same time, it's and it's wide, it's big. They talk about that in Marriage Story. So in New York, they build up and in LA, they build out. It's an exceptional setting for crime. I didn't know that. So LA's got some girth to it. There's space to LA. So they're sort of like the LA skyline, mm. you could say. You know, it spreads out. It's not like, like dense. But Manhattan, New York, is dense. It goes yeah. up. It's so crowded. It's like yeah. London because it's one of the oldest cities because the East was settled before the West. So the, you know, in California, there's a lot of space. Remember in Marriage Story? Mm. So much space out here. I have to talk about the fucking space. <laughs> it's just, uh, I don't know. Well, Michael Mann's kind of responsible for it, really. When I, when I think of, he sort of laid the groundwork for how you can set an exceptional crime filler in LA. Yeah. I mean, you, you can't look at, I mean, collateral is his anyway, but you look at Nightcrawler and Drive. You could just, you smell it. Like, it's, there's no Grand Theft Auto Five without Michael Mann. It has got a very unique feel to it, doesn't mm. it? 
and what you think Michael Mann's the godfather of creating that sort of that feel to, yeah. to bring it to the screen to bring it to cinema I think so it was like yeah. that cross between leaving the silly part of the 80s and into the more serious 90s so in this film you look at someone like Neil De Niro's character very smart looking dude who sort of already sort of ditched the 80s but then you look at fucking Henry Rollins character in it it's got a tight little black shirt and he's dimple chin he still looks like he's kind of in the 80s Henry Rollins in this is oh. the most thumbest looking thumb man I've ever seen there God. is no differentiation from his head to his neck to his shoulders it's a can of meat he's pure spam he's pure tin of cat food he's oh he really is yeah he really is and a very odd choice mm. one of my dislikes but we'll get to that we'll get to him later we'll get to that yeah so it's for me it's one of the greatest crime thrillers of all time another like Pacino's highway drive up to his first meeting with De Niro in the diner that music uh, New Dawn Fades by Joy, Joy Division's playing in the car and mm. it's just such pump it's... like Pacino gets off the chopper takes a car and that music just kicks in and he's trailing all these like bleeding tail lights of other cars and he's like how far is he middle lane bit further up and then he just asks him to go for a cup of coffee the film never, it never slows for me. And that's just one of them scenes within the film that you're treated to. And it leads up to the great fact that you were talking about them not rehearsing for that scene. Yeah. It's just brilliantly um, paced. Another like, there's, there's going to be a few, uh, great use of long lens or telephoto lens. So I don't know if you noticed, but like from the very get-go of this film, loads of shots are taken from far away. Yeah. They're zoomed in on the actors, but their shots probably taken well back. Yeah, yeah. And it gives it like a, it gives instantly an impression of surveillance. Like you're being watched. Yeah. And they're watching backwards as well. They're watching people as well. Like there's great use of long lens in this. Uh, filmed on location. You know where he goes to that sort of dog fighting place? That's a real cardboard community place. So where a bunch of homeless live and stuff. They filmed it all like in loca on location. Wow. All the places, Malibu, etc. It's really and I love that. That's probably why it, it's it's a mysterious place to me. Well, it's the whole film, it's a mood, isn't it? It's that, a mood. That it's a mood. It is a mood. Like it's it's just a vibe. There's not one part like you said that in when he's in the car on the way to meet De Niro. I don't think you have to have seen the film to feel suspense. You're like if it's the first time you're seeing it, you're like, oh, this is important. He's on his way to actually converse with this guy, this cat and mouse story. They're actually going to be in the same room. They're going to be talking. Like that's exciting. But the whole film tracks like that. The mm. whole film is a mood. And like you say, it sets up so well. The surveillance, the, the the cast, the characters, the dialogue, the music, it all sort of combines to make this tight package where it's just, it's a three-hour runtime, but it never feels like you're watching three hours it never of film. feels like it. And it, like, that's why it's a mood for me. It's, it's it, You get in it and you sort of, when you have seen it a few times, you relax into it because mm. it is so good at set. It's got its own very unique personality and character and I'm I'm here for it. I've never, ever been able to, on, you know, in the good old days when you might catch a film 10 minutes in, 20 minutes in, I've never once been able to catch this film and not finish it. Yeah. I will. I just watch it through because it hits every beat for me, regardless of whether it's probably... From from a modern audience's perspective, it could be considered a very masculine film. You know, it, it's it's dudes being dudes and sort of women characters within the film are probably sidelined a little yeah. or treated as stereotypes. But, you know, the story is about bank robbers and a guy chasing them down. So that's what I'm there for. Uh, another big like was um, this drama is best. You know, there's no black and white. It's all grey. Who's in the wrong? Respect for the adversary, risk, greed, love. It's a battlefield and all that pudding. It's all vibes, mate. Yeah. It really is. That's why I love the respect they show each other in the diner because even though, yeah, on paper De Niro's a bad guy, he don't want to kill anyone. Like he says, your money's insured, we're here for the bank's money, you know. Governments, governments don't give a fuck. Yeah. You know, so he's like, I'm going to take from the government. But the problem is innocent bystanders get killed, Pacino takes issue with it. Um, realism this movie uh, it's got the most realistic gun sounds I've ever heard and it's just realistic the the, the dialogue's realistic I find the way the, the story pans out Not I'm not saying it's not a bit of uh, there's embellishment like it's weird that Wayne Grow technically is a serial killer and that's a side story yeah I mean what what you're focused on the way I think the way it realistically plays out like even the, the romantic scenes they're quite realistic. They're not over the top. There's not 
they're kind of like how you would expect later in your life if you did meet someone and you were single and you're in your f- mid 40s how it would play out like that yeah yeah man it's so there's so many things i could say about it. i've always adored the film yeah i mean but before what i haven't seen this for a good number of years so i'm i'm glad that um chad suggested us suggested for us to do an episode on this because it's been that long that sitting down and watching it again it felt like i was watching a brand new film when i saw this last i was probably a teenager wow so it's been a long long time and i remember loving it as a as a kid and well as a teen and revisiting we've spoken about it before on this this podcast the damages of nostalgia i was kind of scared to to watch it because i was like i really remember loving this film is it going to be dated and like you touched on, it is dated in the sense of how female characters are written. Some of the some of the side characters, not the not the cast where you would know their names, people with very little roles can be a bit distracting. These tiny, minute details do date the film, but for the most part, it's still a great, great pace, great written, great directed film that I, I just love to escape into. I don't think it dates the film. I think it dates the politics of now. So it's not it's not out of this world to suggest that it might be a disgruntled wife because her husband hasn't come home. Well, of course. That can happen. I mean, you're totally right. And that's that, that's not unbelievable. But when all of the female characters are exactly the same in this, mm. that's when it's a bit of a problem. Because yeah, Portman's suicidal young teenager who's not getting the attention she exactly. deserves from her parents. So... Yeah, I mean, I get it, but it would have been guilty for me. It would have been almost been Oppenheimer-ish. You know, the guy's building a nuclear bomb. I don't need to see Emily Blunt's disgruntledness yeah. with the fact that he's come home late and she's been stuck with the baby. I, th- I think uh, so we're I trying. S- we're trying to end a war. We're trying to end it because yeah. Japan are fanatical and they're going to fight to the end and hundreds of thousands of American soldiers are going to die taking the mainland. I'm trying to build a bomb to end that. Yeah, and it's like. You weren't home. That is still appearing in modern films. Yeah, of so course. So is yeah. it dated? I don't know. I certainly mirror that. In the film where the main plot is so interesting, when you're so invested in the journey of, of the cat and the mouse, like the little subplots. I mean, like you said, Grango being a serial killer. Wangro. Wangro, sorry. It's hardly mentioned. It's just an afterthought almost. Yeah, because Pacino goes to a crime scene of one of the, one of the bodies. Yeah. So in the film, Wangro sleeps with a prostitute. And then it's implied that he's going to kill her. The Grim Reaper's re- visiting with you mm. tonight. And then there's a photo of her head stuffed in a bin because he's a racist. Yeah. I mean, he's got he's covered in Nazi swastikas yeah, yeah. and SS tattoos. Like, I don't know why anyone would go with that dude. No. That's a big flag, by the way. If you ever see a Nazi swastika on a dude's chest and he wants to plant one in you, yeah. say no. Yeah, go look Even elsewhere. for the monies. Yeah. Don't do not, it for the monies. Not worth the risks. It's not worth the risks. Yeah, it's strange that that's almost a side story. Like, he knows. Like, you look at De Niro. This guy is a cold, calculating, smart man who doesn't want to hurt people, but the risk of the job, some people die. Then he's got these girls, prostitutes, that are being murdered by a guy who's clearly a a racist serial killer. And it's like, that's a side plot. Yeah. Isn't that strange? A little subplot. I think you could look at it as he's uh, Pacino's character is so desperate to find the the culprits, De Niro and everyone, that he's got tunnel vision. Yes. He's so focused that there can even be a serial killer of young women out on the loose, but he's mm-hmm. so focused on catching De Niro, it's, he's, he's obsessed mm-hmm. that he, he's not even giving it credence. He can't pay attention because he's so focused. Well, his bosses and therefore their bosses, and then you go to the State Department, you go to the government itself, would rather he caught bank robbers than a guy that's killing lowly prostitutes. Sad, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, that's how it. That's how I read it once, mm. but it could have changed. So they're basically saying finance is more important than life. Yeah. Money is more if, important uh, than mortality. Yeah, because if one person does it, what's, you know, the whole the whole rotten place will tumble down, wouldn't it? If, mm. if they think, it's all fear. You've got to uh, put fear in people. People dying, like serial killers, they only really act on stuff when it starts to hit main, main news mm. headlines. Yeah. Yeah, Dad. Got any more likes for me or shall I go on to mine? Oh, good. Yeah? Mm. Well, the thing that stands out most for me is just the cast. Just look at some of the big hitters in this one, man. Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, Val Kilmer, Tom Sizemore, John Voight, Natalie Portman, Hank Azaria, William Fixner, Ted Levine, Wes Studi, McKelty Williamson. Tom Noonan. Yep. Mm. Yep. 
I, I mean, there's probably at least four or five more that I could have thrown in there. Heat features some of the creme de la creme of 90s cinema. And though this list decreased in quality as I went through the names, each time a new cast member popped up, I took great joy in pointing at the screen and going, ah, it's that guy. I like that guy. Mm. And because it's been so long since I've seen the film, I know, obviously, you know, uh, Pacino, De Niro and Kilmer are in it. And mm. Portman, and but then the, as the screen time, as it kept going, I kept noticing more and more side actors, supporting mm. cast, and I was like, "Fuck, I forgot they were in there." I like him; I haven't seen him in ages. Oh, he's brilliant! Oh, she's great! Oh, he's brilliant! Mm. And I just loved like it was a it was a welcome trip down memory lane because I completely forgot. Yeah, Vo- Voight's brilliant as the handler. I think he plays a really good mysterious sort of guy who's got his like morals in check, but he's a great handler in it. I love, I think it's Tim or Tom Noonan, I can't remember, but he's the guy on the porch that gives them the bank job. Mm. So he was in, he was the the main bad guy in Manhunter, mm. another man film. And he was also the dirt in House of the Devil. He's great. He's so tall. Such a tall actor. Brilliant. I would have loved to have seen him in more. He's very, mm. he's a very, very interesting character, actor, that guy. Yeah, great list. And I'd say out of all of them, the one who's fallen most from grace, judged on his films post Saving Private Ryan is... Sizemore. Yeah. He has done some shit. He's uh he's unfortunately no longer with us, but yeah. I know that he his private life was I mean, the guy liked to party. He he had a questionable private life. Mm-hmm. And it's a shame he's one of those actors that I watching this and I was like he's brilliant. He's it's so good. I mean, he's great in Saving Private Ryan as well. He's True great romance. in yeah, he's great in so many things. Yeah. And he's this really unique sort of quality in a film all the films that he's in and it's just such a shame because I, I tend to agree with you he could have been in so many I mean he is in loads of incredible things but his career could have been even more impressive mm. if he maybe was able to stay on the straight and narrow and it's just a damn shame it is a shame I know he got picked up for some really dodgy World War 2 films like budget ones after yeah. Private Ryan because obviously he was huge in that well, and he was such he is a good he's a great actor but it's weird isn't it some actors hit points and they, they start picking films that are really weird like Adrian Brody's case in point is one of the strangest actors on earth yeah what was that bloody dragon blade film he did with john kushak and jackie no. chan or, yeah i think it was jackie chan i can't remember that was one of the worst piece pieces of shit i ever saw yeah and it's adrian brody the guy who did the pianist yeah and he is incredible deserving of the oscar in the pianist exceptional yeah with sizemore as well like you said he did saving private ryan and then it felt like he was contractually obliged to be in any single war film that was ever (laughs) made like oh there's tom like it started to think like does he know that he's not actually in war yeah so you just turn up to these sets and thinks he's still fighting but a tragedy that he's no longer with us yeah i also love that this that it's a film that's just a complex and captivating crime caper and you you touched on it earlier but going into this i was worried that heat was going to be yet another film ruined by nuisance nostalgia and not only did this one withstand the test of time i still think it's fucking brilliant Um, Like I mentioned, I saw it so long ago, revisiting it was like the first time watching it again. And I thoroughly enjoyed escaping into a big dick swinging, alpha male congested, good old fashioned (laughs) cat and mouse thriller that is is still to this day suspenseful, satisfying and super slick. Mm. And like you, like it is still all those things. It still stands the test of time. Mm. Like I've watched it twice for the podcast in the space of a couple of weeks and in a couple of weeks time. If my partner said, oh, I would like to watch Heat, I haven't seen it, I'd happily sit there and watch it again. Three months. Three months, good. Yeah. If someone said to me three months and I'd be like, it would be, again, I'd be all in it again. Too soon if I watched it in a couple of weeks, probably. Because I've already got my fix. It's like having a cigarette and then having another one. I don't smoke anymore. But I'm saying it's like, to chain smoke's not enjoyable. I think if if I was to watch it with someone that hasn't seen it, I'd be excited to watch it again to see their reaction because that's something I love to do. If it's a film that I hold dear, I like to show it to someone else. And I mean, you've witnessed it. You've been subject to that. I sit there and I watch the person that's watching the film because I've shown it to them. Do you ever beat off when you're watching and watch the film? Yeah, but they would never know. No, you're doing it tantrically. I don't have to touch it. Just in the mind. I don't have to touch it to milk it. So you're, oh, that's a great saying. Is that your? Is that the saying of your superhero? No, that is my superpower. Superpower. Look at me in the eyes. I'm looking. Just finished. Oh, dad. Yeah. Clean up yeah. on aisle 12. <laughs> final thing I liked. Well, it's not the final thing, but one of the big three big hitters of things I did like about it is the classic De Niro versus Pacino. How can you not? Mm. It just feels great watching two of the best actors to ever do it go head to head. They don't spend much time 
on screen together, but they don't need to. Both got full license to play the sort of characters we love to see them play, and the similarities between the two characters, the weird mutual respect and the diner scene alone, all combine to make the pairing of the two one of the most iconic double billings in history. Mm-hmm. I can't think of a double billing of two actors at the peak of their powers that has bettered it since before. I think it'll take a lot to get to the very top of their game. Maybe DiCaprio and Pitt in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but I don't know. It's a huge one, really. Yeah. It's huge. And I, as the years go by, I think that film will grow in popularity. I think it will be- become iconic, especially when they get older, mm-hmm. like Pacino and De Niro have. You look at their, what they're doing now and look at, and compare it to what they did in Heat. It's universes apart. It's another great LA film. Yeah, it is. Another great LA Yeah, it film. is. Would you add it to your list? I don't know, because it's not as dark. Even though there's dark things happening, it's so it's so honey, yeah. honey-hued. I'm talking about almost a specific time in history, the bridge between the 80s and 90s, Yeah, which really has that, I don't know, that Vice City feel to it. It's like an evolution. Well, Vice City exists because of films similar to this and like Scarface and stuff. And then you go into Grand Theft Auto 5. Grand Theft Auto 5 is literally based off of heat. Yeah. The whole premise of it. Mm. The only thing that isn't is the the hick. The hick who lives yeah. up in the hills and fucks pigs. That's the only part yeah. of it that's not from heat. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, th- I think a pig fucking hick would add to the film. Oh, maybe he based on Wayne Grow. Tattoos. But Wayne, he's southern sounding. But long- Wayne Grow's an absolute abysmal human being the long hair but balding top yes which is another vibe by the way yeah i don't know why when when vibing. all of mine goes off the top which i don't think but you now, keep the sides i'm gonna grow that dog oh out. yeah and a tash growing the bangs but you've got like an empty egg at the top yeah i think women love it growing it yeah they love smacking their head what didn't you like about heat the inclusion of henry rollins here he is why mm. the man is a can of meat a thumb meat can. I mean, he's what is he? He's a he's a punk rocker, uh, metal musician, spoken word artist. I think the actor part is it's like Garth Marenghi. It's like the last part. Doctor, mm. enthusiast, actor. I I don't like him. I'm not saying there's nothing. <laughs> okay, it, he's the distraction. Watching him in this, I'm like, oh, he looks like a meathead henchman. It was like we need to have someone as a right-hand man that's just there for bodyguard muscle, who can we get that most resembles a wardrobe? Exactly. And there was like, yeah, give Rollins a call. Because yeah. there's no... I mean, as he's got older, he's not so thumb pack ham like He looks better for acting now. Yeah. Because he doesn't look like well, he, grew he was into made his, in a 3D printer. He grew into his face. Or his face his grew face, into his body. No, his skin retracted and we found his skeleton eventually. Yes, He's too, he's too much. I didn't. I I don't think he's good enough to be in this film mm. as an actor because he's he's everything else and an actor. Yeah, which is a bit. Uh, Pick a lane, mate. He's just. I don't think he should have been in this film. Okay. I think that should have been a very nondescript, sturdy bodyguard, but not not Rollins. Yeah. Jesus, not Rollins. Less slab of pate and more just someone who. Is welcome on the screen. Yeah, it's like you know when you take your sleeping bag out of the bag, a brand new one. It's mm. like, oh look how well packed it is. And you have to stuff it back in, and it never and looks it, that good again. And it's all like, bark, bark. Yeah. like, like I said, Joe Rogan's um, the the abs, just just so dirt. Yeah, so dirt. Yeah, yeah I'm not a fan of Rollins. Uh, another dislike. Better recruitment screening. I mean, Wayne grows covered in Nazi tattoos. Michael should have looked at him the minute he got in the truck and said no. <laughs> yeah. Like the guy's yeah. got an SS on his neck. He's he's clearly unstable. And what we said earlier, he's a serial killer and it's and you know, if I was Pacino, I'd 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 rather get the guy who's killing, you know, people from poor communities that have to sell their bodies for money. He's murdering women and putting their heads in bins. Young kids, 16 year old. That's the bigger case. Which is weird because obviously I adore this film. It's one of the greatest crime thrillers ever made. Yeah. But I don't know about this whole Wayne Grove subplot being a, a serial killer. I kind of, if I was Pacino I'd want him dead. I'd want to go gun that dog down. Yeah. And you make a good point. When he turns up like all of the, all of De Niro's crew, all of the Macaulay boys... They, they are such a tight-knitted group where they can trust and rely on each other. And they've had to outsource an individual to do this next job. 
If I was Sizemore in that car and I saw Grango, Wangro, Wangro, I will get his name right by the end of this fucking episode. Why, why do you want to say Grango? I don't know. Cause I think it's the alliteration. I think it's the two Gs. In my in my head, I'm like, I like Grango, but it's just wrong. It's Wangro. Yeah. But if I was Sizemore and that came towards me, I'd be like, mm, not sure about this one. And you're right. Surely they would have vetted the guy before meeting up. Someone must have put him forward. Yeah. That's I the problem be... though, isn't it? Because to have a Nazi tattoo, to have the uh, to have an SS tattoo on your neck, you're clearly a very, very uneducated, unhinged. unstable, unhinged human yes. being. You should and all he had to do was put his gun on three coppers. If I was I mean, we wouldn't have the film if he weren't in it. But well, of course. If I was De Niro, I'd be like, guys, we're gonna have to all take on a little bit more responsibility this time. Yeah, yeah ditch we don't need this wayne grove guy yeah it's just know him vetting we... process uh, if i was michael and i was in that truck and that guy got in i would have just been like get out yeah well you would have i think it would have worked better if wayne grove i did yeah. it yeah you did if he turned up and he didn't look dodge was mm. just a dude in a suit smart handles himself well and then later on he can he takes off that shirt and you're like oh fuck he's a monster mm. Allah finds in Red Dragon. He Ooh. reveals that he's an absolute fucking tyrant. No, she's nice. But from the get-go, you look at him. If you saw Wangro in the street coming towards you, you'd cross the road mm. without sounding judgmental. You, you fucking would. He looks terrifying. How great is that scene in the diner when Wangro's sitting there eating pie? De Niro's not there because he's gone to go and do the trade-off with Voight. And Tom Sizemore's character moves to another table to make sure that Wengro actually can't get past. Yeah, that's so smart. Kilmer stays the other side. And then when De Niro comes in, Sizemore goes back to the table. Yeah. And then when De Niro gives him a bit of anger and bangs his head, some big guy looks up and Sizemore death stares him. Yeah. He's just saying, don't, I don't even bother. Sizemore's death stare is, is as iconic as the pairing of it De Niro is. and Pacino. Because the way he just... He of, looks through. Yeah. And that guy, that guy... He's a big guy. He thinks, what's going on here? Sees the Sizemore stare and goes, nah. Sizemore just looks like the best pugilist. I can imagine him boxing the shit out of someone, just being really on his toes, mm. a, a savage hitter, a mm. big hitter. I miss Excellent scene. But yeah, I, I just think the, rec the screening for Wayne Grow should have been a bit more diligent up to, up to, you know, modern day corporate standards of the biggest businesses on earth. Yeah. Last dislike, I do not think De Niro is a good kisser. Do you know what? Yeah. I thought that for a long time. Yeah, all my life I've always thought that. I he, don't think romance suits him very well in films. Do you know what I think it is? I think he loves loyally and loves real. And I think he's what an actor that struggles to pretend. Mm. I think he struggles to pretend to love. Because whenever I've seen De Niro kiss, I mean, it's not something I normally do. I don't sit there and watch an actor kiss and go, what's his tongue work saying? How's his angle with his head? It but just, with De Niro, it always feels uncomfortable. Unless he just is an old soul and he's he's never expressed himself in that way or he doesn't know how to express a kiss through acting. Yes. Just, I never buy it. I think I think that he's probably one of those guys that is a very... I mean, he is a very private man in real life. You know, he's just had a kid at 80 years no. of age. He's just had a kid. No. That's questionable, but we still love Bobby here, so we'll allow it. Mad, isn't but it? When you, I mean, when you see Pacino macking, you can tell that that tongue is doing some work in that woman's mouth. And it's like, you didn't need to do that for the scene, Pacino, but I buy mm. it. I, what I'm saying is, I think Pacino's probably a good kisser, De Niro not as much. I think you might be right. But I mean, in this, Pacino's almost, I can almost smell hairspray on the guy. Yeah, you I can. can almost smell it. Yeah, you can. And this is not a slight on Pacino. I do think he's greatest work was Dog Day Afternoon personally Scent of a Woman Scent of a Woman was excellent but that is so much later in his career he's so much older he's even older than he was in Heat I think I'm uh, quite sure it came after what about a small independent film I don't know if you've heard of it called Godfather no I've, so for me in almost audiences where they've been in the same film similar film I still always think De Niro pips it so in Godfather, De Niro playing Pacino's father, mm. I think was the much, it was so much more enthralling to watch his rise to power than it was to see Pacino survive power. And then in this, I just, I'm more enamoured with De Niro's character. I, I have to be. I'm handy there with you. Mm. And, and I, I do, I agree as well. If, if I had to choose between De Niro and Pacino, I think De Niro is the better character. But if you needed a, a louder than life shouty character, you're choosing Pacino 100% of the time. If you want a more layered, complex, nuanced performance, it's De Niro. She's gonna 
Gwena! Yeah. Do you know, that was that whole bit was like improvised. I believe it. That's why uh, Hank Azaria looks so shocked. And do you know, in this film, right, you know Pacino is Pacino. He shouts. He's, he's extrovert. He's loud. What does that. he shout in the dog pen to that guy? Oh, I can't remember. I only saw Give it. Give me an Yeah. Give me an Yeah. Apparently, the, he adds that energy into the film. I read it somewhere. He adds that energy because he wanted to, without ever saying it, portray that his character is addicted to cocaine without once seeing him take a little sniff on screen. I can believe it because of the times. Yeah, so we're, it's a decision he made creatively with Michael Mann's blessing, I'm guessing, that he's a coke addict, but you never see him once because he's a professional as well at the peak of his powers. You never see him Functioning. Take, take... Yeah, exactly that. And I thought that's interesting because when you know that, you're like, of course he's a cokehead. Look how he fucking kicked off. He had no problem going at two o'clock in the morning to go and meet a... yeah. Yeah, someone got to stay awake somehow. I said, "Well, if I walked into a junkie's house and he'd microwave the baby, I'd be doing more than cocaine." Yeah, I'd be doing a lot more than cocaine. I'd probably be eating a bullet. I thought he was about to say, "I'd probably be eating that baby," and I thought we'd have to press stop. <laughs> <laughs> no, you saved yourself, there, so that's good. No, are you done with your dislikes? Yeah. Shall I go on to mine? Mm. Heat made me sad, Dad. Oh, that was one of my dislikes, mm. but I got rid of it. I, I wanted to get rid of it, but I couldn't shift past the fact that Sizemore is no more. Pacino has got slow. Kilm don't do film. And De Niro will do anything for Dido. Thank you. I'm trying to make that clap so it don't break the mic, but... Thank you. That was great alliteration. I had such a blast watching the boys at the peak of their powers and Heat uses them all to the best of their abilities. But like I've said before and undoubtedly will say again, time is a cunt. And I got all sad about the lads being past their best. I know the film's 30 years old. I know we all get older. I know as we get older, we wither. And the quality of life lessens all these really sad things that you don't want to pull on that thread. Otherwise, it will stop you in your tracks. But seeing it on screen and just thinking about that, like seeing what, what Kilmer's like now, knowing that Sizemore's no longer around, Pacino and De Niro are old men just made me feel sad man Kilmer deserved a lot more from his career he he had just as much talent just as much charisma his looks were exceptional like you look at Tom Cruise now and you, it's just unbelievable that that is how he looks like you look at Tom Cruise you're like that I mean that guy has not changed very much mm. and he's managed you know he went a different path in terms of acting I wanted him to stay on the ball in the 4th of July path but he sort of went at big action movies but there's no reason why Kilmer couldn't have been where he should, you know, it's sad. That is sad. That he can't be where Tom Cruise is now. And if you watch the documentary uh, called Val that came out a couple of years ago. I know that, That's so sad because he, he would take a camera to every film set he was on just mm. to sort of make memories, to sort of track what he's mm. been doing, the people he's meeting and stuff. And you can tell that that's a man that just loved the craft, that was just in love with the whole process of filmmaking and acting. Mm-hmm. And like you say, it's just it's just a tragedy that he, he got ill. But, but before he got ill, he sort of slipped off the radar and got these bit part roles where he, he wasn't doing what we know he can. Mm. And it's just sad. He was very similar to Pitt in that regard. So like he could pull off a comedic role, like Mad Mardigan in Willow. Oh, easily. And then go and do something like Heat, which mm. is like Pitt for me. You know, he could play Floyd in True Romance. Yeah. And then go be something a bit fantastical, like Interview of the Vampire or something. Yeah. It made me sad as well. I looked at the film like if... If The Godfather was the birth of De Niro and Pacino, then Heat's like their 20s. It's like the the party is. And then you get the sort of the the last curtain call is like the Irishman. Mm. I'm getting old. Sad, isn't it? You've depressed me, man. I'm very good at doing that. I'm very good at that. Another thing I I didn't like about the film, we touched on it earlier, is the weak woman writing. I know it's indicative of the time and 90s blockbuster cinema wasn't the best for well-rounded female characters. But that being said, the women in this were resigned to being bitter beauties that were given nothing to do but bitch and moan about the busyness of their respective bad boys. It takes courage, though, to cut your female artery, didn't it? It does. It takes courage. It does. And I'm not more... I, I think Portman was fine in it. I, 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 her sort of subplot in within the film didn't really add a lot, but I found all of the relationship subplots to be a kind of pointless anyway, if I'm being mm. honest. and But if you are going to include... But part, De Niro's one isn't, because that is the change in his... 
par. He's one's needed because he was always being in 30 seconds, you need to be able to walk away. And he meets someone that sort of blurs that that decisive line. It's like he the meets... killer, he's getting ready to, to, it's done. I need to now go and see them, them algae look glow at night. Exactly that, yeah. He mm. he he was close to being done. A curveball was thrown when he met this woman. And, and you're right, that, that sort of subplot was needed. But the rest of, of the inclusion of how, well, not the inclusion of the female characters. If you're going to include the female characters in this, give them something to do. Make them more interesting than just bitching and moaning because they can be, you can include a character and have, feel that character with more perspective, more having a mm. point, a purpose. And it doesn't do that in that film. If you're going to include partner perspectives, at least make the woman do more than be that stereotypical disgruntled housewives. And I guess I just wanted Mr. Man to write a good woman character. You like well, I'll give you that one. Yeah. I mean scraping a barrel a bit. You after your excellent uh, listing of the boys. Of the boys. Yeah, no, that was still okay. That was okay. Well, that I'll take okay. it. They can't all be big hitters. They can't all win. I agree with you uh, to a degree with the in regards to the female writing in it. And it's only now watching it being 36. Obviously, watching that in the 20s, you, you couldn't even have said that to me and I'd have been like, shut up. Yeah. yeah. I wouldn't have cared. Uh, but watching it, I don't know. It would be nice not to, it would be nice to, to see, say, Pacino's love interests I don't think it needed the Portman and Pacino love interest issues. I probably actually would have preferred it if he was a loner. But then that, it, that's why he's so obsessed with the job because he's got nothing else. But they say it in the film. They give you a great backstory, didn't they? When they when they uh, do surveillance on the cops, he's like, you know, he's on his, his second divorce, third divorce, or something because the job eats him up. And John Voight warns him, "This guy's he's a he's a dog. Yeah, he's he won't stop hunting." Mm. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. It's mostly it's mostly the uh, you know oh you're never here you're never home for things I'm just like come on you know yeah. he's a homicide cop but like dear do something else with the female character mm. do something else not the oh my god you even though I knew this when going into this relationship you're being a bit of a dickhead like oh like we've seen it it's done marked as red she'd rather she so wants De Niro's attention to the point that she cheats on him openly Pacino uh, sorry Pacino and forgets that her daughter's really struggling. And, and ignores. tries to kill herself. Yeah. I'm like, that's again, it's another huge, it's another huge subplot up there of Wayne Grove being a serial killer. And it's, it's quite clever, really. Yeah. It's almost like where the camera's passing through a story in LA, you're getting a story, but there's other stories that you could, yeah. you could go look into. I don't want to know. I'll stick with this one. Yeah. I mean, you're right. You could do a movie about Wayne Grove. Yes. You could do a movie about the relationship between Pacino and his wife and the struggles of that. But... In a film where it's just unapologetically alpha males swinging their dick about. Mm. I'm not saying I don't want women in it, but I'm here to watch that group of lads just fucking take names, fighting it out, good versus evil, cat versus mouse. You definitely had female cops, so I don't know why you, they couldn't have included a female cop in that crew. Yeah. In, it's not in the crew, in the in the in Pacino's task force. Definitely. That might have helped uh, lighten the, the load on the uh, the poorly developed characters i'm surprised in your facts you didn't mention that man's making heat too with driver was that not on imdb Uh, but that wasn't even in my own oh no i do know they're doing michael i didn't know uh, adam driver yeah michael man's making heat too with driver is it it can't be a continuation i don't know is it can't be driver's not going to be de niro didn't have kids it's no it's it's not he's not playing val kilmer it's not a prequel i think heat is heat is the setting Okay. Heat's the setting and the, the discipline. It's it's going to be a different story set in the Heat universe. But you might as well have called Collateral Heat too then, if it's just set in LA and it's about crime. Because I know there's a, a second novel. Mm. I know there's 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 two books. I didn't know there was a novel. Is this based on a book? Well, I, this information Are is we... based on what Chad told me, who requested the Look episode. at us so giving thanks, each other Chad. stuff. Thanks, yeah. Chad. Yeah. But um, final dislike about it is kind of petty, but I'm going to include it. Tom Petty. Free Falling. Mm. I didn't like that a mastermind criminal is called Neil. <laughs> now. That's amazing. I mean, is he low? No disrespect to the Neils of the world, but it's not a threatening name as far as I'm concerned. No, Neil is a manager at DMV. Yeah. And uh, like Neil. Neil. It's like, oh, we've got to get this criminal mastermind. Like he's he's part head of an operation that are so tight. They're so good at what they do. They're like the masters. Like, what's his name? Neil. Well, hold on a minute. I'm with you, but then I just realised Neil Armstrong, Neil Young. There's some Neils. Yeah, and they're all doing good things. 
Yeah. They're not bad asses. I mean, they're Neil's. Look. No, they are Neil's. Not. Well, I don't know. Neil, Neil Armstrong, man, he's a combat test pilot. He's a bad ass, but he's not doing bad things. Yeah. Wangro. If you say to me Wangro, that name, I'm like, that doesn't mm. even seem like a name or a word. I reckon it's bad. It's memorable, though, isn't it? Yeah. Well, not for you, but well, yeah. Apparently, what's only your name? Not me, yeah. Wangro. Yeah. It's a weird name. But I also didn't like that the whole operation was put in jeopardy by the use of the word slick. Slick. I'm like, mm. I thought slick was Wangro's nickname because Sizemore says to him, hey, slick, no, you he, see that shit coming out there is? He just calls everyone slick. And that's, and that's why how they. Slick. That's how they sort of get onto who these people are. And I'm like, is slick such a unique bespoke word that they're like, one guy's used it in a criminal offence and and that has then got back to the police go, I know a guy that said slick. And that's how they, they've managed to catch them. Well, they hear the word slick. They can't follow that lead until oh, the dude from Ace Ventura. Ace, Ace, come on, man. You got it. That guy. I don't know. I can't remember. He, uh, it's only when he slips up and says slick and then Pacino's attention's drawn yeah. to it. So it's per chance. That's what I mean, though. It's like just, just that. Like, if he didn't say that one word, like, you wouldn't have caught him. And then, I just don't know. I don't, I'm, I'm picking holes in it, basically. Yeah, if I'm cool. saying a dislike is the use of the word slick and the name Neil. 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 Yeah. It, if, if, but that's his, that's his name for his alias at the time. He needs a new identity to leave the country. Mm. I, he's, his name's probably not Neil. What do you reckon it is? Um, Vincenz. Hmm. Now, that's a name that you would think could be a problem. Albert. Nah. Nah. I like Vincenz. Vincenz. I've got some questions if you're interested. Mm. What are your top three Michael Mann films? Heat, Collateral and Last of Mohicans. Mm. But he's got lots that I love. Mm. Loads. Mm. But I think them three, potentially, for the for the rut, they're paced so well. What I give Mann, which I can barely give any other director, is he paces films masterfully. Top Mann. Top man, literally. Yeah. The pace, everything. They always tend to build up to a great crescendo, which they do in all three of them films. Mm. I think he's the master of pace. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he is. The pace master. Yeah. CO2 of those three are the same for me. Mm. Heat and collateral. They're just they're just immense. What's Trez then? One that you probably won't agree with. Public enemies. Nah. I just liked it, man. But I like that that sort of whole era. There's the, depth for me. Yeah, I think he's quite good in that. He's not his usual, oh, look, I'm an oddball character. He plays it quite straight-laced. Quite liked it. Yeah. Quite liked it. Give it another sniff. Yeah. You might like it scent. Yeah. Yeah. Which two actors currently working today would you like to see take each other on in a classic cop versus robber film? Mm, I'll go with someone who's a little, already good part into their career, maybe someone that's a little newer. So I'll go Ben Foster and Austin Butler. Right, you need to sit down. But I don't know who'd be bad, who'd be good. I've got 50% of that answer the same No, as you. you don't. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Oh, shit. It would, so ben you Foster, go for, then? So you've got Ben Foster and Austin Butler. Yeah. With those two, Ben Foster has to be the bad guy. Because mm. he's just, although he would be really good fucking cop as well, unhinged, like, doesn't take no shit. He could play both. Yeah. He could play both, because even when he is in films and he's one or the other he's always got the propensity to potentially try and be the other as well yeah he's an intense what's dude. the hell is it hell high water yeah is that the one yeah yeah, yeah. so he's like western he's a good bad guy in it yeah yeah or a bad good guy that's good mm. i've always thought ben foster's an actor that should be doing a lot more it's great he's he's you see him in supporting roles all the time but he's maybe he's too intense to be a lead maybe he's so great at being Character those troubled actor. characters yeah so i went with austin butler and john david washington Oh, wow. And I would have John David Washington as the cop and Austin Butler as this really charismatic criminal. Like, the, I mean, he's easy on the eye. You can, He's charming. Lovely voice. Yeah, his voice in Masters Just rack of him up air. and knock him down. He's, in, he's insane. So I'd love to see them two share a screen together. Yeah. Final question. You're in charge of putting a team of actors together to rob a shit ton of money in real life. Who are you choosing and why? I'd go Warwick Davis for the air events. Stephen Merchant for the high CCTV corner cameras 
Cole Pilkington for the Bants and Ricky as the Neil front man making a deposit in the bank. So basically you're setting out to fail on your bank heist. Hell no. Did you just hear me? I did just I got hear someone you. who can hit the tunnels, someone who can take out CCTV because of their height. I got Pilkington for the Bants and the distraction and Ricky's making a deposit in the bank. I'm in and out in three minutes. <laughs> you're in and nicked within three minutes. No. Gervais laughing his fucking ass off at something Pilkington said. Warwick Davis getting stuck and fucking Merchant hitting his head. Merchant can put Warwick in any vent. So in a bank, if I'm seeing a, a nearly seven foot man lift up a dwarf and put him in a vent, I'm going to be like, excuse me, something's going wrong here. There's no... Wait, no, you're, but now you're talking about the finite details. You didn't say, you just told me to pick a crew. You didn't tell me to give you schematics. Okay, I like the crew. It's a good crew. I've spent years, I've spent there's hours logic. of my life enjoying them as a group. Well, and you know they work well together. Yeah, but there's logic. There there's is. There's logic there. Ricky is a millionaire, billionaire, millionaire. He's suited up. He goes into a bank to make a deposit, right? In that time, Warwick's been put up there by Slam Merchant. Slam dunked by Merch. Merchant goes and sprays the cameras because he can reach them. Pilkington is the distraction. Moaning to the security guards. Doing something. Yeah. You never see an old person eat a Twix or saying like that. Yeah. All old people in China are 30. They're lying. Yeah. Like, <laughs> the classic. I'm in and out in three minutes. The best yeah. crew ever assembled. Yeah. I don't want to say mine now because you've you've swayed me. Go on, say it. I bet it's some shit. Go on, do it. Tom Cruise. Oh. Because you, he's happy to put his life on the line. I mean, he's, films. he's the greatest actor in terms of stunts. Yeah. No so one does I it can like trust him. him. If we need to get somewhere... He's not got the the size of Warwick Davis to help him, but he's got the nimble movements and he'll throw himself Not into far off. Idris Elba, because I'm, for some reason in series two, I've chose him for every single thing, for every question. So he's in there. Big brute, looks like a lad, want to hang out with him. And Anna de Armas. She, I mean. She now, if Carl Pilkington's a distraction, Mr. Armas yeah. is a distraction. She would definitely be a distraction. A welcome, welcome distraction. distraction. Yes. And so I just over Tom Cruise. Do you know what, dude? If I was going to put my money in it, my crew are getting out of there with money, and yours ain't. In a heartbeat, Tom Cruise has got an ego. Okay, but if my if it comes to a foot on foot chase, your your crew's fucked. Yeah. So if you're talking charisma, stamina, I ain't going to win that one. Yeah. But the idea behind mine is... If it, you're talking shits and gigs... It's you brains, win. not brawn. Yours is all, all brain. No, all brawn, your one. If And, like we said, heat is a vibe. Your crew is pure vibe. But definitely not heat vibe. No. No. I mean, if we're being honest to ourselves, neither, neither of these crews are getting out with money. No, mine are getting out with money. Okay, we're going to have an argument about this. After People never do it, but if they could vote in whose crew, <laughs> whose Ocean's 17 crew yeah. is more likely to achieve a robbery, yeah. mine or Adam's. Yeah. And I definitely think mine. Okay. All right. Good. What would you rate Heat out of 10, please? It's still a 10 for me. Oh. It has to be. To be this old and to still hit so many notes. So don't get me wrong. Rollins, boo. Some subplots that don't get explored. Serial killer is quite big. It's, it still hits. I still watch it and I still admire the filmmaking here. Do you know what? If this film would have come out in 1954 and it was black and white, people would talk about it like they do Citizen Kane. They'd be saying it's one of the greatest films ever made I, because of its pacing, because of its vision, because of the long shots, because of the line delivery, the masters that are both in it. It's the first time and probably the, apart from Irishman, where they both really pulled it off. I'm not a fan of the other joint ventures they did between them two films. Did they do Righteous Kill? Righteous that Kill. one rings a bell. The Righteous Kill. It was yeah. not very good. No. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right there. If you're if you was to talk about crime, epic crime films, mm, crime I don't thriller. think I think he has to be included in that conversation. The the other films you mentioned in your what's your your list called again for the listener? The LA Darkness Anthology. Yeah. Heat, Collateral, Nightcrawler, yep. Drive, Training Day, To Live and Die in LA, Chinatown, LA Confidential, Pulp Fiction, Falling Down. I think it's a toss-up between Pulp Fiction and Heat for to be the top of that table yeah. for me. So yeah. I'd gone, I've gone a bit less than you, slightly less in terms of rating. I'd give it a nine. Mm -hmm. It's still, it's still, huge. it's still a fantastic film. And like I said, it was such a joy to watch this film 15, 20 years after I last saw it because it felt so fresh and so new. And for mm. a thirty-year-old film to feel that vibrant and fresh, all those things, like yeah, it deserves huge credit. Yeah. That gives Heat a total score of 19 out of 20. 
If you like your crime capers to be classic, cool and chock-a-block full of cream of the crop character actors, <laughs> or if you have ever wanted to see many manly men directed by Michael Mann in a blue hue alpha extravaganza, then Heat could be a film for you. Heat is available to stream on Netflix. Consider watching this one if you enjoyed Inside Man, Dog Day Afternoon and The Town. Should we play a game? Give it a name, give it a name, give it a name now. We birth a plot and then make a trailer. What the plot? Action! The only thing I have to prepare you for this what the plot is an apology. Okay. That's it. So I'm going to say sorry now and then I'm going to give you my what the plot. You apologise a lot in what the plot. Yeah. I've got that deep-rooted Catholic guilt installed into my DNA. So do it. Here we go. A pair of siblings, Bevan and Kevin, go to Devon for a weekend away. Whilst in Devon, Bevan and Kevin visit a 7-Eleven to buy some lemons. Kevin is busy looking for lemons in the 7-Eleven in Devon and doesn't notice that Bevan goes outside to have a smoke. It is here that Bevan is killed outside this 7-Eleven in Devon and is subsequently sent straight to heaven. Kevin suspects that the killer is their estranged older brother, Evan. Kevin sets out on a quest and flees the 7-Eleven to try and find Evan in Devon and make him pay for sending Bevan to heaven. Oh, okay. Okay. I wasn't expecting Devon. Nope. So the characters are Bevan. Bevan. Devon. Kevin. No, Bevan. Kevin. Uh, set in Devon. Is there a third character? That's Evan. Evan. Bevan. Devon. Are they all boys' names? Uh, Bevan's a girl. Kevin is the brother that's gone to Devon with Bevan. And then the suspect murderer is Evan. Wow. Okay. Why did you say it like that? Because I've never heard a synopsis that rhymes. So I wanted to give you Evan, Kevin. But that was like... Bevan in Devon. A man was going to St. Ives, met a man with seven wives, seven wives, seven kittens, seven cats, seven wives, how many people going to St. Ives? Yeah, that's basically, that's, that's the vibe I'm going with. This is not a plot. It is a plot. This is a riddle. There is a plot there. Bevan riddle. and Kevin went to Devon and whilst visiting a 7-Eleven in Devon, Bevan got killed outside the 7-Eleven by probably Evan. You've definitely given me a plot which I don't need to flesh out. Well, it's all there. The nonsense is on the page. The fact is, so initially I was thinking who's a, I mean, I, I'd, I, I would have Ben Wheatley direct because it's set in England and he did a field in England and it was a madness. And Ben Wheatley is one of my favourite directors, not because all of his films are hits, but because all of his films are so different to the other films. So that's a great shout. I would have definitely have him directing because it's Devon as well. I mean, at least he knows a little bit about it. Yep. I don't know who to apply any actor to, who, which name you put out there, but I'd put Ben Wishaw as one of them. Okay, the two Bens. Yes, Ben Wheatley directing. Ben Wishaw could be... So would you want Ben Wishaw to be Evan, who's the potential killer, or Kevin, who has gone on holiday to Devon with Bevan? I think if I made Wishaw the killer, it would be too much, too similar to Surge. Right, okay. So I would rather have him as Evan. no. Bevan. Kevin. Kevin. I'd rather have him as Kevin. He's gone on holiday with Bevan. Yep. Yes. Um, and Bevan, Bevan is his love lover. No, it's his sister. Could still be his lover if you're in my dreams. Okay. Oi, throw another spanner in no, the works. That's no, why he wants no to get ve- uh, revenge on for Bevan. It's his sister. Strange he's going on holiday with his sister to Devon. Is there a mum and dad involved or are they of the age of Ben Wishaw? There's nothing to say Kevin and Bevan aren't twins. And they just love spending time together. This is a madness. It is, yeah. I would have... Uh... <laughs> I, could, I could have Sheridan Smith as Bevan. Okay. Because she's a, she's, a she's a very British in-house uh, actor. Not really done anything in the US, but she does England very well. Yeah, be it she's... Manchester, be it Liverpool, be it London. She she does England well. Yeah, she's in a lot of uh, television shows over here. She's she's very popular amongst the TV shows in, in Britain. <sighs> so all you have left to uh, to cast is Evil Evan. Callum Turner from Masters of the Air plays a Major John Bucky Egan. Because he's another Brit. 
and he's a built he's he's a big tall guy i can see him playing a bad guy and he kills who outside a shop evan bevan bevan evan evan is the is a sibling of bevan and kevin Bevan and Kevin have gone to Devon and are visiting a 7-Eleven to buy some lemons. No one goes on holiday to go to a 7-Eleven. But they did because it's the only one in Devon. It was convenient. And it rhymes. That's why it's there. That's why it's called convenience store. Exactly, yeah. And Evan's a disgruntled sibling. Well, I in my head, this really fascinating story is based on the fact that Evan is jealous that Bevan and Kevin went to Devon and he wasn't invited. So he kills Bevan while she's outside 7-Eleven to send her straight to Evan. Pedro and Malvador could have done this as well, but it's set in England, so I stick with Wheatley. I think Wheatley's a great shout. The man the man dips his fingers in all sorts of pies, and I think he would have a good time baking this pie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, i got to say it is the most unique delivery of a plot. The maddest of stories. Well, the plot is very simple. It's just the deliverance of the synopsis. Because I was like, imagine like a, a rhyme for a synopsis. Imagine a, a sick rap, like reading it on IMDb, and you're like, ah, oh, Bevan. Evan, Kevin, Devon, Seven Eleven, and Lemon. I just like. I just. I just thought I'd do it for shits and gigs. I'd call it "Riddle Me This," directed by Wheatley, starring Wishaw, Callum Turner, Sheridan Smith. Yeah, "Riddle Me This." Never have I ever named a film based on the synopsis. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. The new film from Ben Wheatley. Bevan. Heaven, Devon, 7-Eleven Lemons, and Heaven. Bevan, and Kevin, and Devon, and 7-Eleven and Lemons, and Heaven. Ah. Bevan and Kevin went to Devon in the 7-Eleven to buy lemons. She got killed and went to Heaven. Bevan and Kevin went to Devon, and Bevan and Kevin went to 7-Eleven to buy some lemons for their time in Devon. Bevan went outside 7-Eleven, got killed and went straight to Heaven. Then that Kevin went and hunted for Evan. Ah. Uh, oh. Riddle me this. <laughs> <laughs>